Welcome to Seeking Rents, the podcast. I'm your host, Jason Garcia, the publisher of Seeking Rents, where we explore the ways that corporate lobbyists influence public policy in Florida, particularly in the Florida legislature and the administration of Governor Ron DeSantis. This is episode 20. The name Seeking Rents comes from a term in economics called rent-seeking. And rent-seeking is what's happening when someone with a lot of wealth and influence, like a billionaire or a big corporation, uses their wealth and influence to get politicians to pass laws that help them capture even more wealth, usually at the expense of someone else. That someone else can be workers forced to work for lower wages, or consumers forced to pay higher prices, or small businesses forced to compete on an uneven playing field. And at least here in Florida, that someone else could also be high school students forced to work full-time hours in a fast food restaurant while they are still in school. I'm not kidding. That's the subject of a real bill that's being lobbied through the Florida legislature right now by a think tank funded by one of Ron DeSantis's billionaire donors and a front group for a bunch of big chain restaurants like McDonald's, Burger King, Outback, and Olive Garden. We'll get into that in just a bit, but first a couple of quick announcements. First, if you're not already, please make sure to sign up for Seeking Rents, the newsletter, so you can have all our stories and podcasts sent straight to your inbox. We published a story just last week that looked at how much the state's unified business lobby has done over the past 25 years to weaken wage and benefit protections for Florida workers. Listen, I've been covering the big business lobby in Florida for more than 20 years, but seeing all the ways they've used Florida politicians to suppress wages listed out in a single timeline like that was startling even to me. We don't put any of our stories behind paywalls, and you can subscribe to Seeking Rents for free. But there's also an option to pay for a subscription if you can afford to. Those voluntary paid subscriptions are incredibly important because they help us raise money for reporting expenses like public records requests. The easiest way to find us is at SeekingRentsFL.com. That's SeekingRentsFL.com. Also, we're uh, less than a week away from Christmas now, which means a lot of folks are probably scrambling to find last-minute gifts. And boy, do I have some good news for you. Because it turns out you can actually give Seeking Rent subscriptions as a gift, which is uh, something I just learned about the other day because a few readers actually did it. Seeking Rent subscriptions make great gifts, particularly for any angry uncles in your life or any cousins who claim that voting doesn't matter. Or heck, how about giving a subscription to your kid? Listen, they're going to have to learn about rent seeking someday. And as we're about to see... Kids in Florida might find themselves working full-time a lot sooner than they think. They're going to want to know who to blame for that, and a Seeking Rent subscription can help. In all seriousness, thank you to everyone who subscribed, whether you chose to pay for a subscription or not. Your support is so important to everything we're trying to build here. Okay, so let's dive into today's story. And I'll begin by reminding you that the next session of the Florida legislature is just around the corner. Lawmakers will gavel it open on Tuesday, January 9th. That's three weeks from now. But even though the session hasn't started yet, the actual process of lawmaking has already begun. That's because for the past few months, members of the legislature have been holding a series of pre-session committee hearings so they can get a head start on some of the bills they're likely to pass once the session does begin. And one of the bills that Florida lawmakers are already working on is House Bill 49. How best to describe House Bill 49? Well, since it's just about Christmas, let's just say it's the sort of bill that Ebenezer Scrooge would love. 
House Bill 49 would, for all intents and purposes, allow businesses to squeeze a lot more working hours out of Florida high school students. Here's how it would work. Under current law, there are a number of limits on how long or how often a 16- or 17-year-old teenager can work, especially when they're in school. For instance, right now, a business can't put a 16- or 17-year-old on an overnight shift. Basically, that means they can't work anytime after 11 at night or before 6.30 in the morning. They can't make the kid work more than eight hours a day on a school night either. And they can't schedule the teen for more than 30 hours during a school week. House Bill 49 would eliminate all those limits and several others too. In other words, under this bill, a 7-Eleven could put a high school sophomore on the graveyard shift, even if the kid has class the next day. You know, the Florida legislature passes a lot of laws that I would call, let's say, objectionable. But even I never imagined that Tallahassee would want to go backwards on child labor laws. You might be wondering who's behind this bill. Well, publicly, the sponsor is Linda Cheney, a Republican state representative from St. Pete Beach. She's also a millionaire who once sold a medical device company to a big chain of hospitals. But Cheney didn't come up with this idea herself. The original bill was actually written by some people at an organization called the Foundation for Government Accountability. People call it the FGA for short. And the FGA has, according to the Washington Post, been working on similar efforts to roll back child labor laws in a bunch of other states around the country, too. The FGA is a conservative think tank that has been pushing right-wing policies in state legislatures for more than a decade now. It's probably best known for opposing efforts to expand Medicaid health insurance to more Americans. Medicaid expansion is a key part of former President Barack Obama's Affordable Care Act. But thanks to lobbying from groups like the FGA, there are still 10 Republican-controlled states around the country that refuse to participate, including Florida. More recently, the FGA has been in the news for pushing election laws that essentially attempt to lock in minority rule, like bills that raise the threshold to pass an amendment to a state constitution from 50% plus one to 60% or more, or bills that prohibit the use of ranked-choice voting in local elections, a system that allows voters choosing between a group of candidates to rank them in order of preference which is an approach that can produce less extreme politicians. But the main thing the FGA works on, the central mission that it's been pursuing since day one, is to make life harder for lower-income working people in America. Medicaid expansion is a big part of that. For instance, by refusing to expand Medicaid, Florida is denying affordable health insurance to nearly one million low- and middle-income working people in this state. This is the main reason Florida consistently ranks as one of the very worst states in the country when it comes to the number of residents without any health insurance at all. But the FGA's work here extends far beyond opposing Medicaid expansion. Just here in Florida, for instance, the Foundation for Government Accountability has worked to cut unemployment support for laid-off workers, to make it harder for folks living in poverty to obtain food stamps, and to make it harder for employees to band together in unions. The FGA has also been fighting the Biden administration's efforts to cancel some student debt. It's even proposed making it harder to qualify for affordable housing. And now it wants to let businesses bring more work out of high school kids, too. These may seem like a bunch of disparate ideas, but there's a common thread that binds them all together. These policies are meant to weaken lower-income workers by eliminating any leverage they might have to negotiate for things like better pay. Think about it. You're making it harder for people to find affordable health insurance and housing. 
You're cutting them off from safety net programs like unemployment insurance and food stamps. You're blocking them from collectively bargaining. And you're flooding the labor market with more cheap teenage labor. The goal, ultimately, is to leave lower-income Americans so economically desperate that they have no choice but to take whatever work they can find, no matter how poorly it pays, no matter how few benefits it provides, no matter how erratic the hours are, and no matter how temporary the position is. This is how you trap people into a cycle of poverty. And while you may not have heard of the FGA before, lots of Republican politicians have. In fact, just before Christmas last year, Ron DeSantis flew to Naples to speak at a summit organized by the FGA that, include, that included Republican state lawmakers from several other states. Records suggest that DeSantis even brought the Speaker of Florida State House along with him, too. But how does the FGA get so cozy with Republican politicians like Ron DeSantis? Well, it might be because of the billionaire behind the curtain. Tax records show that the FGA has received much of its funding in recent years from a guy by the name of Richard Uline, who's one of the wealthiest people in the country. Uline, who goes by Dick, lives in Illinois. He was one of the heirs to the Schlitz Brewing Company fortune, the Milwaukee company that used to be one of the biggest beer producers in the United States. He's also the founder of Uline, a giant shipping supply company based in Wisconsin. If you've uh, got a cardboard box lying around your home, there's a good chance it was made by Uline. But Dick Uline doesn't just donate to the Foundation for Government Accountability. He also gives money, a lot of money, to Republican politicians all around the country. To give you one particularly relevant example, Dick Uline has given more than $2 million just to Ron DeSantis, including more than $1 million to DeSantis's current presidential campaign. So I guess maybe it's not surprising that a politician funded by Dick Uline might take policy advice from a think tank funded by Dick Uline. But then again, we're talking about weakening child labor laws. Surely that's a bridge too far, even for the Florida legislature. Ah, but the Foundation for Government Accountability isn't the only one pushing this policy in Tallahassee. Some of the country's biggest corporations also want to get high school kids working longer hours, too. Now, I mentioned earlier that even though Florida's legislative session hasn't begun yet, lawmakers have already started working on House Bill 49. That actually started just last week when a subcommittee in the state house held the first public hearing on this piece of legislation. In many ways, it went just like a lot of other recent hearings on controversial corporate-backed bills at a state house where Republicans control more than two-thirds of the seats and can simply steamroll over any opposition. When members of the public turned up to testify in the bill, the Republican chairman of the committee initially gave them only one minute each to speak. Then he cut off public testimony entirely. And then he cut off debate on the bill, too. But there was a surprisingly candid moment during that committee hearing as well. In their talking points and public comments, the FGA and others have repeatedly tried to frame these child labor bills as issues of parental rights and teenage empowerment. They say it's about getting government out of the way and giving teens more, quote, flexibility. These claims are, to use a technical term, bullshit. The campaign to loosen child labor laws is being driven by exactly one thing, a tight labor market. The U.S. unemployment rate has been below 4% for nearly two years straight now. The first time that's happened since the 1960s. So businesses are having to compete a lot harder to attract employees. Now, obviously, one way you can attract more workers is by paying them more money. 
But why raise pay or offer better benefits or just provide more scheduling stability when you could just plug in a bunch more cheap teenage labor instead? That's why House Bill 49 is suddenly surfacing now. And to her credit, Linda Cheney, the Republican state rep sponsoring the bill, acknowledged that during her presentation when she said she decided to file the legislation partly to provide more labor for Florida's tourism industry. Quote, being in a tourist area of Florida and knowing the needs of the hospitality industry, I felt this was a common sense bill, Cheney said. And in case that wasn't clear enough, there were exactly two members of the public who testified in favor of her bill. One of them was a 16-year-old who said Florida's child labor laws were making it harder to find jobs in the restaurant industry. And the other was a professional lobbyist for the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association, a front group for Florida's tourism industry. The association is run by a board of directors that includes lobbyists and executives at Walt Disney World, Universal Studios, and the parent companies of Burger King, Outback Steakhouse, and Olive Garden, among many others. That lobbyist told lawmakers that restaurant and hotel companies across Florida are positively giddy with excitement at the prospect of putting high school students on full-time work schedules. The lobbyist said, and I quote, when we ask our members for their feedback, normally I get a trickle of comments. This was a flood of positive support from our hoteliers and our restaurateurs. Now, I reached out to the Restaurant Lodging Association when I first learned that they were lobbying for House Bill 49. I wanted to learn more about why restaurants and hotels think this is a good idea. To be fair to them, they would dispute how I'm characterizing this bill. They say House Bill 49 isn't about letting businesses make teenagers work longer hours, but rather it's about letting teenagers choose whether they want to work longer hours. Although you might ask yourself here, how much control low-wage hourly workers really have over their schedules? Or how likely it is that a restaurant is to keep employing someone who chooses not to work all the hours that the restaurant wants them to? But beyond that point, the spokesperson for the Restaurant and Lodging Association claimed that Florida's current rules for employing teenagers, like the ones that prevent them from working more than 30 hours in a school week, are simply too onerous and burdensome, and that they end up dissuading some businesses from hiring teenagers at all. She also said that allowing high schoolers to work longer hours would let those kids make, and I'm going to quote here, greater economic contributions to their families. And I'd like to zero in on that point for a moment, because it's one that some Republican lawmakers are starting to make, too, that this bill is somehow about helping lower income families by letting their teenagers contribute more. This claim is utterly twisted. Allowing businesses to make teenagers work full time jobs while they're still trying to finish high school does not truly help low income families that are struggling to make ends meet. All it does is put them in an impossible situation. By forcing families to choose between immediate economic survival and the long-term prosperity of their kids. Because one thing we know is that high school students who work long hours, more than 20 hours a week specifically, ultimately do a lot worse academically. If you really wanted to help disadvantaged families, do you know what you could do? You could expand Medicaid so that they have access to affordable insurance and preventative health care. You could make sure they could get food stamps so they don't go hungry and adequate unemployment insurance so they don't lose everything if a family member gets laid off. You could empower them to collectively bargain so more people can get into better paying union jobs. And you could help them put their children in the best possible position to succeed over the long term instead of forcing them to sacrifice their own kids' future just to make sure they can make that month's rent. 
But then again, some of those other options might mean that a few billionaires and chain restaurant companies have to sacrifice a bit of profit margin or pay a bit more in taxes. And it turns out that is the bridge too far in the Florida legislature. Now, before I wrap this up, I want to point out that we've seen billionaire-backed think tanks and big business front groups join forces like this quite a bit recently in Florida. You may recall that back in mid-2021, Ron DeSantis decided to cut unemployment payments to out-of-work Floridians. The federal government had been providing a $300 a week supplement to laid-off workers as part of its response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Those uh, supplemental benefits were going to end eventually, but DeSantis decided to cut them off about 10 weeks early. DeSantis' decision cost some Floridians as much as $3,000 each. Records show the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association urged DeSantis to do it, and so did the Foundation for Government Accountability. We've also talked before about an aggressively anti-union law that DeSantis signed earlier this year, a law that weakened the collective bargaining power of tens of thousands of Florida workers. A whole bunch of conservative think tanks lobbied for that bill, including the FGA, and so did the Florida Chamber of Commerce. So I guess in that sense, House Bill 49 is actually kind of helpful, a helpful reminder of just who some politicians in Tallahassee really are looking out for. Okay, that'll do it for today's show. As always, if you've got any questions or comments, or if you want to suggest subjects for future pods, please don't hesitate to reach out. My email address will be in the show notes. Also, again, please make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. You can find us at SeekingRentsFL.com. And please choose to pay for a subscription if you can afford to. Every dollar really does help. I hope everybody listening has a very nice holiday and a happy new year. Don't forget that the Florida legislature starts its session in early January. So I hope you all come back from the break rested and ready to fight. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. See you soon.